Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Single Tracks is psyched that Jameis Spikes has come on as a supporter of the podcast and is also a supporter of the website. Jameis has been designing and building quality bikes since 1979, and they were among the first to produce mountain bikes beginning in 1982. The brand has brought the world some iconic and award-winning mountain bikes over the past 40 or so years, and the Dragon has been the soul of the brand for decades. Introduced in 1993, the Jameis Dragon Hardtail delivers the feel that only comes with high-quality steel, and it's done so for nearly 30 years running. The newer Jameis Portal and Hardline full-suspension bikes feature the innovative and race-proven 3VO suspension platform, built into both carbon and aluminum frame options. You can check out this year's all-new Dragon and 3VO bikes, along with the entire lineup of Jameis high-performance mountain bikes at JameisBikes.com. That's JameisBikes.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Chris Smith. Chris is the USA Marketing Manager for Laser Sport, where he's worked for more than seven years. And today we're going to be talking about mountain bike helmets. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the invite and the opportunity to speak with you today. Awesome. Well, let's talk about the anatomy of a bike helmet, uh, starting at the shell, really. Um, and that's the outer covering of a shell, the most visible part. Uh, what's the purpose of this shell? Is it just for looks or does it have another purpose to it? And, and what did, what is it typically made out of? Typically, it's made out of uh, polycarbonate material, uh, basically just plastic. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not familiar of another material that other manufacturers might be using. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking specifically about laser products, uh, they all use that polycarbonate material. Okay. Uh, originally, uh, 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 when Jiro uh, came out with the... Uh, uh, the, their uh, the, kind of their super light helmet back in the uh, late 1980s. Uh, their uh, uh, covering was a fabric, uh, but but once uh, manufacturers were built, uh, uh, able to 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 uh, uh, come up with what what they call a micro shell, or that very thin polycarbonate shell, mm-hmm. uh, all manufacturers shifted over to uh, to using that that polycarbonate shell. Mm-hmm. And basically, its purpose is really to just protect. The uh, EPS foam or the expanded polystyrene foam mm-hmm. counts for the the majority of the uh, helmet volume uh, or the majority of the helmet materials. Uh, that foam's job is basically to absorb uh, the energy uh, that comes through the helmet in the event of an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that polycarbonate shell uh, helps protect that foam from from any kind of uh, minor uh, 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 drops or, or dents uh, to assure that that EPS foam uh, stays as as pristine as possible hmm. uh, and ready to do its job in the event of an impact. 
Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's just there, you know, it might appear that it's there just to make the helmet look good and shiny and, you know, colorful, but sounds like it's actually, it's protecting the EPS, which is protecting your head. And so if you had a helmet without that, like if you rip that protective shell off of the helmet, that wouldn't be a good thing, right? Like you need to replace that helmet at that point, I would guess. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, with that polycarbonate shell, it does give manufacturers the ability to kind of add some some style and, and color to the external part of the helmet. But yes, it does play a very uh, critical role in protecting that EPS foam and also preventing, again, in the event of the impact, any of that EPS foam from breaking apart or splintering, separating away from the, the rest of the helmet. Hmm. Uh, uh, so yeah, in addition to, to Protecting that EPS foam against uh, uh, miscellaneous uh, drops or denting, it, it also plays a role in uh, keeping that foam around the rider's head needs to be in, in the event of an impact. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the next layer beneath that, which is the EPS uh, foam, essentially. And it's to me, it sort of reminds me of like that white styrofoam that you would see like coolers, like cheap coolers made out of in the old days that kind of breaks apart real easily but this is this is kind of different from that in that it's much stiffer um, more firm it like holds its shape a lot better um, but what what makes it such a good material for helmet construction in terms of safety and and just the overall like ability for the helmet to, to keep its shape when you're wearing it well it's really the the best balance between durability you know just kind of day-to-day durability uh, like you said, the, the foam that is used in a bicycle helmet is a, is a denser foam than you would see in a, a polystyrene cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, the material is the same. It's, it's both, uh, they're, they're both polystyrene uh, uh, foam. Uh, it's a, a denser foam that is used in bicycle helmets. And you've actually seen, laser is an example of that, you've seen manufacturers use different density foams depending upon uh, where in the helmet that foam is going to be positioned. Ah. So in, in areas of uh, high likelihood of impact, uh, they'll use the, the denser foam. Uh, but in areas where it's less likely to have an impact or where they might look for an opportunity to take advantage of some weight reduction, uh, some manufacturers will use a, a lighter density foam that actually gets closer to what you what you would find in that uh, uh, beverage cooler. Yeah. So it's 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 durable. Uh, it's also uh, uh, easy to use, uh, and it does a, a fantastic job uh, at that energy absorption, so that it will uh, it will compress and absorb the energy from an impact, uh, as opposed to transferring that energy or or the majority of that energy to the to the rider's head. So uh, it really it really does a great job. Uh, in what it's uh, intended to do. Mm-hmm. It's also, I mean, it's a, it's an economical uh, uh, product to use uh, in, in mass production. So uh, it, it, it's, it's durable, it's lightweight, uh, it mm-hmm. does the job as far as energy absorption, and it also, uh, in using that material, it, it helps keep the price down, uh, especially on, on low-end and, and mid-price helmets. Uh, so it's really a fantastic material to use uh, for this intended purpose. Yeah. Well, you mentioned manufacturing. Where are most helmets produced these days? China. Uh, they, uh, 
uh, uh, the, the uh, manufacturing facilities uh, in China have been building bicycle helmets for uh, multiple decades uh, at this point, uh, not just for bicycle use, but uh, also other um, um, uh, sport uh, use and mm -hmm. uh, motorsport products as well. And they're able to use the technology that they developed uh, for other helmet uses and, and incorporate that into uh, bicycle helmet design. And, and really, China has uh, kind of the, uh, some of the most developed and sophisticated uh, helmet manufacturing facilities uh, 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 available uh, in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked a lot and, you know, this may be part of our conversation later about um, replacing helmets, you know, after a certain amount of time because the materials do break down. And then certainly in the event of a crash, is that EPS material, is it recyclable? Is this something that, that potentially um, can be reused or, or is it a pretty much like one and done type of material? No, uh, it, it, uh, the uh, polystyrene foam does have the ability to, to be recycled. Hmm. To date, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly uh, expensive and complex process in order to recycle uh, EPS foam. Uh, so to my knowledge, there's, there's, uh, uh, there's nobody that is really offering this on a, on a mass consumer scale yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, that, that's the case for just about any material. Uh, until you really scale it up and develop the ability to recycle materials in high volume, it, it, it remains uh, an expensive proposition. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I expect at some point uh, in the future that, uh, that the ability to, uh, to recycle helmets will, will be available. It's, again, it's a complicated process because it's not just EPS foam in the helmet. You have the polycarbonate shell. Mm -hmm. uh, you have materials inside of the foam uh, that are um, – uh, that, the, that the foam is kind of expanded around during the mm -hmm. manufacturing process. You've got straps and buckles and, and other pieces. Uh, those all have to be disassembled somehow uh, before you can recycle all of those individual components. So it's a, like I said, it's a complicated process right now, uh, and I'm not aware of anybody doing that uh, at the moment. Yeah, uh, but it's, it, it's certainly possible, and I expect that at some point in the future that that'll that'll be available. Hmm, interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about retention systems and how those work. Um, the part of the retention system that most people are familiar with, like the most visible part, the part we interact with the most is going to be the chin strap. What's the purpose of that? Is that like the main way that we're keeping the helmet on our head or is it is it something else in terms of how the whole system works? Well, it's doing two things. Number one, as you said, it's keeping the helmet on the, on the top of your head. Uh, if you didn't have the chin strap in place, uh, uh, the, the, the chances are uh, in, the, in an impact, the helmet is going to come off the head and, and not do the job that it intended to do. So fundamentally, the straps, uh, the chin buckle, keep the helmet on the, on the uh, rider's head uh, mm -hmm. so that it's there to do its job. Uh, but the other important thing to, to be aware of is that the straps need to be adjusted correctly. The chin buckle needs to be adjusted correctly. Mm -hmm. So the helmet not only stays on the rider's head, but stays in the right position uh, in order to protect the head uh, should, should something go wrong. Uh, I advise uh, people to set their helmets up so that the kind of the front brim of the helmet sits about his finger's width above the eyebrows. Mm -hmm. And that uh, there's maybe one or two uh, finger uh, uh, thicknesses underneath the, the, uh, the buckle. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and to make sure that the straps are adjusted correctly that don't allow the helmet to have a lot of uh, back and forth movement or side to side movement on the rider's head. Yeah. Again, you don't want to have the, the helmet kind of locked down on the, on the head and, and uh, not have the ability to <laughs> open your mouth uh, because right. the, the straps are too tight. So you want to balance the, the kind of the fit of the helmet uh, versus how the straps are adjusted. But, but mm-hmm. keeping the helmet on the rider's head and keeping the helmet in the correct position to do its job uh, are, are, are the, the two roles that the straps and, and buckle play. And then as far as the retention system, the other part of that is what's going on in the inside of the helmet. Uh, all helmets have some kind of adjustment. Uh, on a lot of laser helmets, it's on the top surface of the helmet. Most other helmets, it's on the, the back of the helmet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is important to adjust the uh, retention system inside the helmet itself, again, so that the helmet doesn't shift uh, on your head just in, in the normal uh, course of riding. Uh, or, mm-hmm. again, in the event of an impact that the helmet doesn't dramatically shift positions and the, the retention system inside the helmet plays a, a, a very important role in that as well. Mm-hmm. So you kind of want to have the best balance between uh, comfort, which is going to encourage you to keep the helmet on and, and wear it every ride because uh, uncomfortable helmets, uncomfortable shoes, it does not make riding pleasurable and, and uh, you look for excuses not to wear those mm-hmm. items. Uh, so you want to make sure that the helmet is set up comfortably so you wear it for every ride and uh, uh, balance that, that comfort uh, with the security uh, uh, in fit uh, so that the helmet does its job uh, when, when coming. Yeah. Well, I know for me personally, I, I tend to rely a lot on sort of the, the interior retention system that you're talking about. Basically, the, the thing that goes kind of around the circumference of your head um, and kind of keeps it tight so that it's not moving around. Like if you turn your head, it's it's going to go with your head instead of like kind of jostling around. Do you do you have other tips? I mean, you mentioned like the finger width test in terms of where the the chin strap is, um, and also obviously making sure uh, that you're comfortable because you can you can have too tight of a fit for sure with those retention systems where you're cutting off blood flow to your head and you know you start to get a little headache from it um but yeah what what other tips are there for testing a helmet fit and specifically in terms of making sure you have the right size helmet because i know a lot of brands have different sizing systems none of them are really standardized so how do you know when you have that like correct fit and the correct size well uh it, it depends where you're buying your helmet. Mm. Uh, ideally, it would be in a, a retail environment where you'd be able to try on different size helmets and, and helmets from different manufacturers. One of the reasons that, that there's so many different uh, helmet manufacturers out there is, is they, they each are using uh, their own developed uh, uh, retention system uh, inside the helmet. Uh, they're using different sh- uh, shapes in the molding of the helmet, uh, uh, which creates a different shape interior or a different volume inside the helmet. Really, the only way to know if the helmet is going to be comfortable is to take it off the wall display and, and try it on and, and adjust it and see how it fits on your head. Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of different shaped heads, uh, oval shape, oval <laughs> shape, you know, kind of a... a, a, a balance between the two mm-hmm. and some helmets are going to are going to fit better than others and you, it's really best to get the helmet on your head uh, and see if there's any pressure points or hot spots once you have the helmet adjusted and mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, you'll you'll know pretty quickly once you have the helmet on your head if there's a if there's a discomfort issue. Just you know, we can we we all know from experience that if something is uncomfortable in the first few seconds or, or minutes of trying something on, it's not going to get any better. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't like you know we break in our shoes, but you don't really break in a helmet so much. No. No, uh, once a helmet is broken in any form, uh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> right. probably not uh, a good choice of words. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's not going to get more comfortable uh, if if there's a fit issue uh, uh, in in the store. As far as sizing goes, uh, I encourage uh, people to to get into the smallest size helmet that that fits comfortably on their head. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned uh, um, kind of different size standards. Uh, some helmets are, are what's called a unisize, uh, where it only comes in one size, and all of the fit is done by the, the adjustable retention system. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at a helmet that comes in multiple sizes, uh, you want to get into the smallest size helmet that fits on your head. And that's that's not just okay. fitting on your head, but also at least, you know, like a, a, a half to a full turn of the retention uh, mechanism. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if your if your head is pushed up against the the the, the foam on the helmet, it, it may affect uh, the foam's uh, ability uh, to to absorb that energy. So it's mm. it's it's not uh, it's not a problem if there is a gap between the side of your head and where the uh, the interior foam starts. So you don't want to be pushing that helmet down on your head and, and kind of forcing your head uh, into into contact with that foam. Yeah. So if you can get the helmet comfortably on your head, you can get at least a, a half to a full turn of the, the retention uh, mechanism uh, before it starts to tighten up, then you're probably uh, into the right size. Okay. Uh, if it takes two, three, or more turns of the, of the uh, uh, fit uh, system in order to get it snug up, uh, I would encourage uh, uh, consumers that if there is a smaller size available in that model, that you try on that smaller size and see if it maybe provides a better fit. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I guess logically too, you're going to know if a helmet's too small. I mean, basically, you can't get it on your head, even with the dials, you know, all the way out and the chin strap at the the bottom of it. And then, yeah, if one is, you just keep trying them until you find kind of the smallest one that fits. That's, that sounds pretty easy. Yep. When we uh, not not to, to blow our own horn, but I, I'll take the the opportunity to mention that we actually offer a, a, a satisfaction guarantee with our with our products, and we give consumers sixty days uh, in our helmet to to try it oh, wow. uh, and make sure that it's that it's working uh, for them uh, as far as comfort and, and fit and performance. Hmm. Uh, so. So as far as our, our product products go, we're, we're pretty confident in the, the way that we've designed them for, for comfort and fit that we can back it up with this with this guarantee. But but consumers might want to check uh, again with their retailer or their online uh, reseller mm-hmm. uh, to see if there is any kind of offer uh, for uh, exchange uh, on size or uh, model or brand uh, if what they purchased uh, doesn't happen to work for them. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, let's talk about safety standards. What are the main ones that cover bike helmets and the ones sort of that people should be familiar with? Well, outside of uh, a complete lack of a safety standard uh, or certification, <laughs> which uh, really isn't a standard at all, uh, there's three testing standards uh, uh, available uh, globally. Okay. Uh, helmets need to meet 
that testing standard uh, in the market that they're sold into. So from the least stringent standard to the most stringent standard, the CE certification uh, is what is used uh, in Europe. Okay. The CPSC or Consumer Product Safety Commission testing standard and certification is what is used in North America. Okay. And then the Australia and New Zealand uh, testing standard is, is uh, specific to those countries. Uh, and again, they have the most uh, stringent uh, testing. Mm -hmm. They also have a compulsory helmet law. So if you are uh, cycling in Australia, New Zealand, uh, it is against the law to ride without a cycling helmet. Oh, wow. Uh, so again, the manufacturer uh, has to build the helmet to meet that certification uh, within the country that the helmet is being sold into. Uh, and that's why I mentioned uh, 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 earlier, I might have mentioned it before we actually started recording, that uh, that if you're buying a helmet in, uh, at your local retailer, they really don't have uh, access to be able to buy product from a distributor that doesn't meet the certification with, within their country. Yeah. And you actually see it. There's a sticker uh, inside the helmet that, that, that proves that the helmet meets that certification standard within mm -hmm. being sold into. So all the helmets that you'll find at your local retailer here in the United States will have that CPSC certification sticker uh, inside. So unless you're, Taylor is buying product from outside of the United States, you, you can be pretty confident that, that the helmet that you're uh, buying uh, at your local bike shop is uh, meeting the certification standard for, uh, for the United States. Mm, good. Well, I imagine that those standards you're talking about, the CE and the CPSC, um, those are bicycle-specific helmet standards. Right. And I know seems like maybe there are separate standards for like motor vehicles, people riding motorcycles. Is there any advantage? Like are those helmets safer or are they really testing them against like different types of impact that you would expect to see riding those two different types of vehicles? Yeah. Well, safe is kind of a loaded word. Hmm. And when you're talking about certification standards, the, the, the thing that it's important to understand is that it's just a generic test hmm. that all helmets have to pass. Okay. Now, I don't want to say there's no value to the certification standard because there absolutely is because it, it, it kind of assures that all manufacturers have to meet this minimum level of what, what the, the, the term that we use is the protection. Mm -hmm. uh, you may quibble about the difference between safety and, and protection, but uh, we, we use the word protection, different levels of, of protection, uh, depending upon uh, uh, how the helmet is built and, and what certification standard it's, it's meeting. But, okay. but again, consumers uh, uh, sh should be confident that a, that a helmet that meets that CPSE certification standard meets the requirements uh, uh, set forth uh, in the testing protocol by the Consumer Product Safety Commission. But again, all three of these tests that I mentioned, the CE, CPSC, and Australia, New Zealand, they're, they're basically measuring the amount of energy that comes into the helmet from a, a straight line uh, uh, or what's called a, a linear impact. Okay. So they put the helmet on a head form. The head form, which is shaped like a human head, has sensors and measuring devices in it. And they'll bring uh, a weight in from a single direction, uh, either on the top or the side, 
uh, of the helmet, certain amount of weight uh, at a certain speed that uh, impacts the helmet, and then the sensors in the head form will measure how much uh, energy is coming into the to the rider's head. Mm. Uh, and again, you know, depending upon the market that the helmet is being sold into, the uh, amount of that energy that is acceptable is specified in the certification test. Okay. So that uh, the the helmet has to be able to absorb X amount of that energy in order to pass that certification test. Okay. So yeah, I mean, it sounds like overall these are sort of pass fail tests that we're talking about. There isn't like this one did better or worse. They're all just acceptable not acceptable yeah as far as these these three thirds uh, certification tests you're right it is exactly a pass fail test there's other things that they're testing for uh and and that is the strap and the chin buckles ability to keep the helmet on the rider's head if there's an impact uh that, that comes from the side of the helmet and there's there's other tests that have to be done just to uh to assure that the product is going to be safe for uh, average consumer use. Mm -hmm. But the most important aspect of that certification test is, again, testing to to assure that the helmet absorbs a certain amount of energy that's coming uh, into it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you and your uh, uh, audience are familiar with uh, MIPS, Mm -hmm. stands for Multi-Directional Impact Protection System. Uh, There's other companies that have come up with alternative uh, to MIPS. And basically what, what that system is doing is uh, building in the helmet's ab- ability to absorb an impact or energy coming into the helmet from uh, what's called an oblique impact. So it's not a linear, it's a straight line impact. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. an impact that's coming in at an angle yeah. that causes the helmet to undergo a, a rapid rotation, mm-hmm. very, very short amount of time, you know, fractions of a second. And uh, the risk to the to the rider in an oblique uh, impact is if the helmet undergoes that rapid rotation and it and that helmet rotating forces the head to undergo that same kind of rapid rotation, mm-hmm. it can uh, potentially cause a concussion or uh, uh, what's called rotational brain injury uh, because the brain you know is suspended in the the fluid inside the skull. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a delay in the amount of time uh, between when the head and the skull can rotate and when the brain uh, will catch up with that, and you, you can right. cause the brain to impact the inside of the skull and, and suffer that concussion or, or rotational brain injury. Mm-hmm. So what the, what the MIPS system is doing, what other rotational uh, protection systems are doing, is uh, trying to isolate the head from that rapid uh, helmet rotation in the event of an impact and uh, uh, either reduce the risk of or eliminate uh, the chance of the rider suffering uh, potential rotational brain injury. The reason I bring that up, number one, is because so many companies are offering this now. It's important for consumers yeah. to understand what this technology is and what it does. It's protecting what's inside the skull rather than protecting what's outside the skull or the skull itself. Uh, and it's also something that uh, uh, current certification standards are not testing for at all. Hmm. So. CPSC, CE, Australia, New Zealand, uh, none of those address the potential for uh, oblique impact or this rotational uh, injury risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it is being studied by uh, uh, the, the uh, organizations that, that, uh, that are doing the certification process, and I expect that that, that that will be included in the certification standards at some point in the near future. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that suggests the fact that there aren't testing standards for it yet, that potentially there could be some of them that work, some that don't work at all, some that maybe work better than others. And so, yeah, it is kind of a interesting transitional time where this is something we all kind of agree is important, but we, we don't yet have the tools to know exactly like sort of what what to look for. Yeah, I should say that there's no governmental certification or testing standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be some consumers that are aware of this, uh, but Vir- uh, Virginia Tech has developed a, a testing protocol to test helmets for their ability to reduce the risk of concussion or, or rotational injury. Mm-hmm. They have been actively testing helmets for a few years now and ranking them regarding their ability to provide this, this uh, protection from rotational injury. So if you go on the internet and you search Virginia Tech bicycle helmet ratings, uh, you should go directly to their website. And uh, for all the helmets that they have tested, uh, they, they publish the, the uh, test results and they rate those helmets using a, a star rating system from okay. zero stars, which are not recommended, to five star, which is their best available uh, testing rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's definitely something to be aware of. And, and if you are shopping for a helmet, the, uh, the company is not providing that information up front. Uh, check and see if it's been uh, tested by Virginia Tech and, and see what that, that, that star rating is, because that's, that's good information to have. Yeah, that's a great resource. Well, we're talking about safety a lot here, and obviously that's the main purpose of a helmet. But I think for many riders, uh, you know, just as important, heck, maybe more important is how the helmet looks. And so what, what role does that play into helmet design and, and marketing and, and all that? You know, if, if you're able to make a helmet that looks good and is safe, what does that mean? What does that do for people? Well, uh, it 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 uh, it prevents you from being mocked and ridiculed when you go out and walk <laughs> friends. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> and it also <laughs> it also means that the helmet uh, uh, manufacturer is going to sell more helmets. Right. Uh, I can I, I, speaking from personal experience. Laser spent a number of years uh, offering very uh, uh, very well designed mountain bike helmets that provided great protection for the rider, mm-hmm. frankly, atrocious sales. <laughs> the reason was because they did not have the right cosmetic look or the, the right uh, kind of features built into the helmet that, that mountain bike riders, trail riders, uh, uh, enduro riders were looking for. Mm. So you can offer the safest helmet in the world, but if it doesn't have the look that the consumer wants, along with the, the safety features... Nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's going to wear it. Yeah. So there is, and uh, we've come a long way just in the last two or three years as far as our our trail helmets, uh, you know, uh, uh, addressing the the cosmetic requirement that that consumers are looking for while still providing the the protection benefits that our that our helmets have always had. Mm. So you could say that it's it's not an important feature as far as the performance of the helmet. Uh, but realistically, when you're designing any consumer goods, the cosmetic look of that product is uh, of, of critical importance. I mean, you look at car design, you look at shoe design, the, these products, uh, yes, they have a, a fundamental function. 
but there, there's also a, a, a style or a, a fashion or a, you know a cosmetic expectation uh, on the part of the consumers, justifiably so. Uh, they they want to feel good and and uh, look good in, in the product that they're using. So, um, uh, does the look of the helmet actually do anything as far as providing protection? No. But if you're going to design a helmet that offers all the protection and also looks great, yeah. You know, that's going to appeal to the consumer market and, and uh, you're, you're going to have a more successful product at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, if we all know the saying, you, you look good, you feel good. And then as mountain bikers, we add on, if you feel good, you ride good. And I think a lot of times mountain bikers tend to be these, you know, I mean, we want to see ourselves as sort of individualists and make our own decisions and, and that kind of thing. And, and we may say like, oh, I don't really care how that looks. Like, I just want something that performs well. But at the end of the day, I mean, that that really drives a lot of everyone's decisions. And so if you don't have a helmet that you think makes you look good, maybe you're not going to wear it as often. Or, you know, like you said, maybe maybe you're part of like a friend group or a rider group that you know, doesn't wear helmets and part of the reason is because they don't look good or whatever. And so I could see that like sort of peer pressure playing into it for, for some younger riders, especially. Yeah, for sure. And if, you know, let's say you have a thousand mountain bikers in a particular market and one of them is individualistic and is going to buy product based on performance and protection they don't care how it looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's great. You know, you've sold one helmet and you've missed the opportunity to sell uh, a helmet to 999 other riders, uh, your business model is is flawed, and you're not going to last too long in the market. So, uh, you got to you got to give consumers what they want. Yeah, the the cosmetics uh, and the and the expected features uh, are uh, you know in addition to the protection, it's it's an important uh, aspect of that for sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the things that kind of distinguish mountain bike helmets from helmets for other activities like road biking or, you know, even BMX or things like that. And I want to start with the idea of this like extended rear coverage on half shell helmets, Uh, you know, the generally vented helmets. uh, We're not talking full face here, but ones where, where there's there's a good bit of coverage on the back of the helmet. What does that do for riders? What kind of like, is there additional safety involved in that? And what's kind of the idea behind extended coverage on a mountain bike helmet? Well, comparing to a road helmet, uh, the, you know, I don't have the exact statistics, but your typical road bike crash is at uh, moderate to high speed. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm sorry to say from personal experience, typically what happens uh, in a road bike crash at high speed is you lose a lot of skin mm-hmm. and your helmet kind of rattles along on the, on the pavement, uh, you know, yeah. high speed skidding, but, but less severe uh, impacts because mm-hmm. most of your speed is being uh, scrubbed off uh, along with, with your skin just because of the amount of body contact yeah. uh, on the road. A lot of mountain bike cr- uh, crashing uh, and, and impacts is a different story. Low speed, uh, uh, crashing, you know, going going over the bars, or or you know, uh, dr- uh, dropping off a trail at, at slow speed, mm-hmm. and uh, in in low speed crashing, low speed impacts, the amount of force that's coming into the helmet can be considerably more, mm-hmm. and the 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 uh, location that the helmet will come into contact with an object can be 
a lot more diverse. Uh, so again, mm. uh, road bikes, a lot of times it's, it's the side of the helmet, you know, as the rider is, is sliding, you know, the, the side of the head is kind of uh, impacting the road surface. Where uh, in, in uh, uh, trail crashes, you know, the, the, the head can make contact with uh, trees, uh, mm-hmm. rocks, you know, uh, uh, rock walls, uh, boulders, you know, anything that is standing up off the surface of the ground. You don't have two lanes or more of, of, of uh, uh, traffic width of the road that, that you can slide across. You know, there's just a lot more <laughs> objects that you can come into contact with. And uh, you can come at those objects from a, from a wider variety of direction. Mm-hmm. So uh, the specific benefit to kind of that drop down side and, and back coverage on uh, trail helmets uh, just provides additional protection ar- around the sides and, and back of your head. So that if you, uh, if you do uh, uh, come off the bike, you know, and going over the bars or a high side crash and you don't have control over yourself, that, that wherever your head uh, happens to impact whatever object uh, you might come into contact with that you do have that additional protection uh, mm-hmm. sides in the back of, of, of your head uh, so that hopefully the foam will absorb that impact rather than um, having that impact uh, hit you uh, underneath uh, where a traditional road helmet might end uh, as far as the, the coverage on the sides in the back of the head. Yeah. Well, hearing you describe sort of those risks and kind of the mode of crashing that mountain bikers have, you know, I mean, it sounds like potentially there's going to be impact, you know, all around the head because you don't know. I mean, you, you hit the top of your head, the back. And so it seems what you're saying is that there's that extended rear coverage. Um, basically, I mean, ideally, we would have coverage all around our heads, um, but that's not practical, right? Like you can't have can't have it come down over your forehead much more without getting into your vision and, and that sort of thing. And, and you can't, I guess you can't really cover your ears all that easily again, without it being like a, like a baseball helmet or like something closer to a full face. So the, the rear is like the, the best spot to do that. Yep. Yep. Precisely. And, you know, by, by having some of that drop coverage on the sides and the rear, you know, it is naturally going to protect the sides uh, of your head and your ears just by having material that's standing out from the sides or the back of, of, of uh, your head. Uh, it doesn't necessarily always have to be covered, but just the fact that you have that material on the back of, of the head, it, it could help protect the sides of your head because it's more likely that the helmet's going to come into contact uh, with, with that object. But speaking of, of full-face helmets, I mean, you see more and more riders using full-face helmets uh, in, in trail riding or in park riding yeah. uh, because full-face helmets are getting lighter weight, they're getting better ventilated, uh, and there there's uh, requirements in, in some competitive events that you wear a full face helmet regardless of whether you're going up or you're going down and manufacturers are responding to that by developing lighter weight full face helmets that uh, uh, have uh, ventilated chin bars and and uh, are more comfortable to wear uh, in a variety of terrain but still offer uh, certified protection for uh, downhill riding and racing yeah i mean it that's one of the things I was going to ask about is sort of trail riders starting to use more full face helmets, wear them on more trail rides. You know, in the past, you would only see these in sort of downhill races and then it, you're starting to see it more in enduro. And now 
again, people are, are choosing them for some of their everyday rides. Um, what do you see as sort of the barriers to that um, in terms of like wider adoption? What are the reasons why you might not want to do a full face helmet and, and can that be overcome? It absolutely can be overcome. And the fact that you're seeing more consumers choosing that product uh, shows that the market is already addressing their concerns or at least starting to address their concerns. The barrier to date has been weight, ventilation, and what I would call breathability, just just the ability to get air into the helmet uh, past the chin bar uh, so you so comfortably breathe. The, the the certification, the, the ASTMDH uh, certification that full-face helmets have to meet in order to be uh, rated for downhill use uh, are, are pretty stringent. Uh, but manufacturers have developed the technology in order to, to build helmets that meet that certification using lighter weight materials, mm. uh, providing more venting so you get better airflow, uh, and opening up the chin bar so you get the ability to, to comfortably uh, uh, breathe uh, while still offering that protection. Um, you know, it's, it's obvious that that's the direction that the industry is going. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's not going to be too much longer if it's not already here that there's some full face helmets that are as comfortable to wear climbing as they, as they would be uh, uh, wearing uh, for descent or uh, in place of, uh, of you know, what, what we would call a half shell helmet. So yeah, it's moving, it's moving that direction because that's what, that's what consumers want in order to have that additional protection. That's great insight and uh, perspective on that. You know, just the fact it's not that people have just given up and said, well, I'm just going to be hot and, you know, not be able to see as much, but I really want to be protected. It's, it's actually people choosing it because the helmets are better and, and they are addressing some of those hurdles people had. And so, yeah, it's not a matter of just wanting to be more safe. It's like we've found a better balance between safety and comfort. And, and yeah, it sounds like we'll continue to see that improving as well. Yeah, and I give, uh, I give credit to the manufacturers that are offering uh, full-face helmets that are uh, getting more and more comfortable to wear because, I mean, again, you can have a helmet that looks great, but if, it, if it's too uncomfortable, you're just not going to wear it no matter how good it mm-hmm. looks. And the fact that you're seeing more and more of these full face helmets uh, on the trail at the parks, you know, is, is uh, and, and, you know, they look obviously as, as good as they do, uh, but they're also uh, providing a, a, a level of performance that the, that the consumer uh, desires and expects so that they keep pulling it uh, off their shelf and putting it in their bag as their helmet of choice when they, when they go out and ride. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think continue to see the, uh, the, the, the market address that need seriously and, and uh, develop uh, better and better products in the years to come to, uh, to uh, address that desire for additional protection. Yeah. Well, let's talk about another aspect of mountain bike helmets that sort of lives at that intersection between like the style, but also performance. Uh, why do mountain bike helmets have visors? Is that something that we need more than like road bikers or is it just a style thing or, or what's, what's kind of your take on that? Yeah. I, the problem is I'm, I come from a road uh, background. So uh, for me, the- so you just ripped the visor off of every mountain bike helmet you ever had. <laughs> well, I, tell you, I, I, I don't ride uh, off road as much as uh, uh, my, my coworkers uh, at, at Shimano uh, ride off road and, 
that's uh, due to the fact that I'm uh, 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 based here in, in Minneapolis mm -hmm. uh, versus my, my colleagues that are uh, either working in Colorado or, or uh, uh, Southern California. So access to what I would call true mountain biking uh, conditions are uh, at a level beyond uh, what I have access to. So honestly, mm -hmm. when I take my mountain bike out and ride, I just wear a road helmet uh, because I'm and that's perfectly okay, right? I mean, some people are confused and, and they say, oh, like, do I have to have a mountain bike helmet? Is it okay to wear a road helmet on the trail in terms of safety and, and performance? But yeah, that's okay, right? It's it's a certified helmet. Uh, it passes the certification test. It doesn't have the drop-down extra coverage in the rear or maybe some additional coverage in the sides. Mm -hmm. So as a consumer, you need to decide you know, what is important to you. If you have the ability to invest in multiple helmets uh, specific to a particular discipline, I certainly encourage you to do that. The number of, of helmet samples that I have is, is uh, already a bit oppressive. <laughs> well, honestly, if I was going to, if I was going to ride mountain bike in Colorado or, or California or somewhere, you know, with tr what I would consider real true mountain bike conditions, uh, I would probably use a, a well, I would for sure use a traditional uh, trail helmet with, uh, with mm. the visor. Uh, again, just so I wasn't mocked and ridiculed by the people that I was riding. <laughs> also, you know, having that additional protection would be a benefit. What's the advantage to a visor? Well, you know, I think it's uh, there, there's a certain cosmetic expectation and look to, to uh, trail helmets that have to have mm -hmm. that. Point. But I think the original purpose was... You know, uh, uh, trail conditions where you could be rapidly uh, uh, going in and out of the sun uh, to, to keep that sun off, off your face and, and preventing your eyes from having to make a rapid adjustment between kind of blowout lighting conditions uh, versus, you know, the, the darker shaded condi conditions. Perhaps that, that visor uh, helps keep the sun out of the rider's eye. Mm -hmm. uh, also, you know, if you're riding in kind of a claustrophobic uh, trail environment where there's leaves and tree branches and, and other uh, potential obstacles that are intruding into the trail, uh, that visor may push that stuff out of the way and keeping it uh, oh, uh, yeah. eyewear or off your face. Um, so, I mean, I, that that could be why visors were initially uh, incorporated uh, into mountain bike helmets and trail helmets. Uh, and, and now it's just become an expectation and a, and a tradition, uh, and a, uh, like I said, an expectation in the look of that helmet that they, that they have, uh, uh integrated so it's built in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never, I never think to actually use the visor as a visor personally, you know, like if I'm riding early in the morning, like sunrise, or you're riding at sunset when like, you know, sun's right on the horizon and, you know, if you're in a car, like you fold down the visors and that's really helpful, but I never think to do that with a mountain bike one. Um, and then it ends up being like in the way when I want to take my sunglasses off and put them somewhere or, you know, goggles or whatever. But yeah, you make a good point that, that it does provide protection from like branches or things that might be kind of coming into your face from the top and the sides and kind of using it as a brush guard more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, we certainly offer this on a couple of our helmet models. More and more manufacturers are uh, offering some adjustability in that visor. So if you're in a situation where you you don't want to use it, you don't have to pull it off the helmet. You can just swing it all the way up and get it out of the way. And, and uh, then if you're in a situation where you, again, you want to keep that sun off your face or you've got more uh, 
you know, uh, trail garbage that's going to uh, uh, <laughs> your face. You can pull that visor down and maybe offer that protection. But, but I'm all for giving the giving the user more flexibility in the way they set their their helmet up. Uh, and, and yeah, best it might work for them. So, the more adjustments, uh, the more kind of customization you can have in your helmet, the the better, uh, in my opinion. Give the yeah. customer more. Uh, and let them uh, set it up uh, how it best works for them rather than uh, asking them to make sacrifices in the product that you're offering them. For sure. Well, one of the things, you know, visors have been around a long time and almost every mountain bike helmet has one and they're designed uh, with safety in mind as well. I mean, they're designed to break away and, and not impact the helmet's safety features in the event of a crash. On a related note, we see a lot of mountain bikers who mount helmet cameras, uh, lights for riding at night, um, different things like that on top of their helmets. How does that affect the safety of the helmet, um, if at all? And, and do you have any sort of um, advice for people who are, are thinking about adding that on to a helmet? Yeah, I do. Uh, be careful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> helmets are not tested to meet a certification standard with accessories mounted to the helmet. Mm. So uh, if you attach a light or a camera to the outside surface of your helmet, at a minimum, you should be aware of the fact that your helmet was not tested. uh, Unless the manufacturer says otherwise, the helmet was not tested to pass a certification standard with that accessory mounted to the helmet. That can affect uh, uh, protection in two different ways. Number one, a potential snag hazard. If you've got a light camera sticking off the top surface of your helmet and you're riding in a trail and something is hanging down the trail that perhaps you miss, you don't get your head ducked down. Yeah. Uh, if it comes onto that accessory and there's no way for that accessory to be uh, ripped off the surface of the helmet, Mm-hmm. Then, then uh, you, <laughs> assuming your helmet is fixed properly to your head, it's going to rip your head back uh, along with the helmet, potentially rip you off your bike. Yeah, this happened to me many times. I mean, I do a lot of night riding and and in trails that are very overgrown. And yeah, I mean, it's happened to me. It's happened to lots of people I ride with for sure. And, and it does not feel good because you're never expecting it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the first risk that is involved. Uh, make sure if it's uh, if it's an accessory uh, that you're attaching to your helmet that there is uh, some way that it that it can uh, be uh, released from the helmet in a, uh, in a, a, a situation that uh, would, would prevent injury or, or risk. Uh, yeah. So eliminate that snag hazard. Uh, but the other issue is that you've got an object strapped to the outside of your helmet that can potentially uh, focus an impact into the helmet in a very, very small area, mm. as opposed to that impact being distributed uh, over the surface of, of the helmet. So, I mean, if you think about it, you know, the, 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 uh, the entire uh, surface area of the helmet coming into contact with a boulder uh, versus uh, a camera or a light where the entire force of that impact is directed into the mounting bracket that is fixed to the outside of the helmet, uh, it forces that that entire energy to come into the helmet in a very, very small surface area. The helmet was not designed to accept that amount of force coming into that small surface area. 
the uh, Formula One Formula One driver Michael Schumacher uh, was downhill skiing a number of years ago with a with a uh, action camera uh, affixed to the outside of his ski helmet, and he actually landed uh, on his head on that helmet on the action camera and the camera. And the accessory mount is what intruded into the interior of the helmet and caused his brain injury. Wow. So uh, pretty quickly after that accident, uh, we recognized that that risk was only going to grow as uh, accessory light and action camera use got more and more uh, prevalent. So uh, in, uh, we, we came out with a, a helmet that had a system called the safety mounting system where there was a specific area on the helmet where that bracket was um, uh, certified to mount. And that area of the helmet had, a, had an extra reinforcement on it so that we could uh, submit that helmet for certification test with the accessory in place and assure that that accessory and the mount were, would not intrude into the uh, interior of the helmet. And uh, to this day, two of our, uh, our, our, our helmets that actually come with an accessory mount as, as uh, uh, included in the packaging uh, have that, that reinforced uh, section of the helmet where we specifically call out you know, where it's safe to, to mount that accessory. Yeah. Uh, so you either need, as a consumer, you either need to check and make sure that the helmet has been certified to use with this, that accessory and mount it in the correct spot. Uh, or just accept the fact that that the helmet was not designed uh, to uh, uh, to offer the protection uh, that would be expected when you have that accessory in place. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've actually tested, I believe, one of those helmets um, with the accessory mount, and you know, you make a good point. You know, it it addresses one of the issues, which is that pinpoint uh, sort of you know, loading or, or forces, but then it, you know, it's still, you're still like Velcroing on or, you know, screwing down or whatever your helmet light or your helmet camera. Um, and that's still a big snag hazard that people have to be aware of. And so you are, you are taking that risk when you do that. Um, and yeah, there's kind of no way around that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the accessory that we include is a Velcro mount, and, and, you know, we would hope that the Velcro will tear off and release, uh, oh, yeah. uh, ideally, uh, to, to prevent that risk. But, I mean, if you, depending upon the durability and strength of the Velcro, uh, you know, it, 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 that risk is still there, and it, that risk is amplified if you're actually uh, uh, physically uh, uh, mechanically uh, attaching that accessory to the helmet using brackets or screws. Yeah. Well, Chris, tell us, what does the future of bicycle helmet technology look like in your opinion? Well, we spoke uh, to this uh, previously. I think you're going to see more and more manufacturers, including uh, some kind of system for rotational brain protection. Uh, Mm, This have done a great job uh, protecting the exterior of the rider's head. Uh, and it's it's uh, uh, getting uh, uh, more recognizable that they need to to do a better job protecting uh, what's inside the rider's head, and and consumers are getting more and more educated about this being an important aspect of uh, of uh, protection for cycling helmets. So uh, again, I think you're going to see that continue to develop. Uh, certification standards are going to be adjusted to take rotational brain injury into account. Uh, mm-hmm. reducing that risk 
and manufacturers are going to continue to invest in uh, technology uh, and, and uh, improve the sophistication of helmet design uh, to incorporate that technology uh, in order to, to reduce that, uh, that, that potential risk of injury. Because as, as you've stated a number of times, helmet's job is to, to try and protect the rider's head and, uh, yeah. and keep the rider uh, uh, healthy. Uh, so uh, that's that's the primary goal of of any helmet company is to is to assure that they've done everything they can to to try and keep their rider protected. Uh, in addition to that, I think you know as as uh, the ability to manufacture helmets and and use uh, uh, other materials in order to to uh, reduce the weight of the helmet or provide better ventilation or or uh, potentially use uh, less non-renewable resources in manufacturing. Uh, I think these are all things that, uh, that manufacturers are, are going to continue to look at uh, in order to provide uh, the same or better protection uh, using lighter weight, uh, more comfortable products that, that use less uh, uh, petrochemical materials in, in manufacturing. So, Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, though. I mean, you look at like the materials that are being used, the, the polystyrene and also the, um, the polycarbonate shell, even those are really standard, um, things. I mean, people have been using these for a long time and almost every helmet uses kind of the same raw materials. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to think about potentially, are there other things out there that work just as well? Um, and that, that maybe we'll be seeing. Yep. Yep. Well, finally, I want to ask you, is there, is there one thing that you feel like everyone should know about wearing a bike helmet? The most important thing we touched on previously, and that is finding a helmet that is comfortable and fits well, uh, because that's going to be a helmet that you're going to, you're going to grab every time you go out for a ride. Uh, uh, you know, those of us that enjoy riding really look forward to it, but, uh, if you have something that is detracting from the enjoyment of your of your cycling, you're either not going to use it or so. Just take your time when you're shopping uh, for uh, uh, any product that you have a physical interface with: shorts, shoes, mm. gloves, helmet, uh, and just make sure that they that they uh, fit well and are comfortable uh, in the first few moments after trying them on. Uh, because it's not going to get any better the more that you use them. Uh, and yeah. for helmets in particular, you, you want that thing on your head uh, to do its job uh, in the, uh, the worst-case scenario. And uh, if it's something that actually adds to the, to the enjoyment and, and uh, benefit of, of cycling, then uh, uh, chances are it's, it's going to be what you, uh, what you have on your head if, uh, if you do happen to have an a, uh, accident. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. I learned a ton about helmets and how they work and how they're supposed to work. And uh, yeah, we appreciate your insight. Well, thanks for having me on. I, uh, I enjoyed our, our discussion and uh, thanks so much. Well, you can learn more about some of the helmets in the laser line at lasersport.com. And we'll have a link to that website in the notes as well. So I've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.